And as we come into our time of, of the spoken word, of the preached word, I just want us to, to think of an author that I'm sure many of us know. C.S. Lewis is a name I think that is familiar with most of us here. Uh, many of you know him as the brilliant writer of the 20th century who was not only uh, steeped and an expert in medieval literature, but more importantly, I think for us, was one who uh, was a Christian apologist who had this very insightful and winsome way of describing what the faith means and how to actually navigate issues and uh, objections and all of that. Mere Christianity is probably his seminal work in that area, but of course we know that he wrote other things. Some of you also know that he actually wrote what we consider fantasy literature. The whole Chronicles of Narnia series would be in that genre. If you haven't read Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is a great place to start, I commend that to you. But it's, it's great. Perhaps even lesser known about C.S. Lewis is he was also a writer of science fiction. He actually wrote what come to us to be the space trilogy. Uh, it's about a hero, Elwin Ransom, who is a, a man in, from England, of course, who is given various tasks by divine authorities to go uh, it, you know, at various parts of the solar system and do their bidding. Now, in the second of the series called Paralandra, he is sent to what we call Venus, but it is far from being just a bright planet with you know, extreme temperatures and lifelessness there. In fact, when he gets there, he finds it teeming with life, with this sort of oceanic paradise. And he meets just one person. He meets who he calls the Green Lady, this woman who is beautiful and innocent and just lives within the joy and the beauty of this world and within the protection of, of the God of that world. And so Ransom is just trying to understand that and understand why he's there, but soon he finds that someone like what we call the tempter, the great uh, evil, the black archon specifically, also is in that world through his henchman Weston. And so now he begins to realize that this Paralandra, this, this Venus as he knows it, is actually Earth before the fall. And now his, his idea of what is he's supposed to do becomes clearer. I'll leave it there. Maybe we'll kind of leave it as a bit of a cliffhanger. If you haven't read it, it'd be probably worth doing that. But uh, the point of, of this is that when C.S. Lewis is describing how God works and what, his, what he wants for us and how he brings it about, it's no good just to describe an action or two. He actually has to describe a world. Because when you're talking about the Lord, you're talking about he who creates the world, worlds that we know, all that we know in existence is from him. And so that leads us into our topic today. When you look at the readings, when you just reflect on them, you know plainly that these are talking about love. So the, this is John's huge theme. If you love is like 260 times in the New Testament, John, between his gospel and his epistle that we were reading, both of which we were reading today, is responsible for about a quarter of those references. John is about love. So uh, it's no surprise that he is, when he talks about it, though, he's really ushering us into a world. He's ushering us into the world of God. The best way, to, I think, to describe it is it, it is it is 
the, uh, when we talk about the journey of the resurrected life, and we talked about forgiveness, we talked about boldness last week. Now we're talking about love, and he's ushering us into that. We are truly entering another world when we speak to that, a world made by the Lord himself. When I think about this world, I think there's a few observations that I make that this world where the Lord exists, if we fully understood it, here's the first observation, if we fully understood this world of love that he has created, created us to be in, and we actually are in it in some way, shape, or form, but if we fully understood it, we would be giving everything that we have to experience it. There would be no holding back. There would be no looking back. It is so easy that this, this world that we're in, even with its fallenness, and sometimes particularly because of its fallenness, when it offers a certain, uh, a bunch of things that Tim Keller calls counterfeit gods, a certain wealth that we get to acquire, reputation that we desire, uh, all kinds of versions of love and the physicality of those things. When they are detached from God, they cease to fulfill and they become counterfeit gods. They, they are gods in the sense that they promise a certain transcendence, but they're counterfeit in that all they do is end up providing enslavement. And so, so love is that, so we know that this is the world that we inhabit, and yet the world that we are called to, the world that we've actually entered into through Christ is this world of love. And if we fully understood that, we would give everything we have to experience it. Now, what is this world of love? When you just think about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you know, just a little theology kind of geek aside here for a moment. These are, how, how do you describe the Trinity? How do you describe Holy Trinity? This Holy Trinity is about uh, God three in one and, and what characterizes them, three beings, three persons in one Godhead, is, is relational, highly relational. They, everything, there is, a, there is a unity that is beyond comprehension. There is a self-giving. The, the, the father gives himself to the son in affirmation. He gives himself to the son in terms of all the things the son needs to do to do the father's will on earth. The son gives himself to the father in terms of his own life and his own body. The spirit gives himself on behalf of the son and the fathers. He is our guide. Each member of the Trinity is giving. Each member of the Trinity is in this relationship that can only be described as love with one another. And out of that comes this beauty. Out of that comes this purity. Out of that comes this holiness. This is the Godhead that we see. This is the, the divine, the, the creative aspect of that is what is described as Paralandra in C.S. Lewis's book. And so when we talk, when, if we were experiencing more of who God is in that way, we would give everything that we have to experience that. We would organize our time differently. We would be far more inclined to, to be staying away from the counterfeit gods that Keller speaks of. We would be doing, we would recognize that this country is not our own. Some of you know that phrase from Hebrews, Hebrews 11, which is what, you know, the, the great uh, hall of faith as it's called. But it says, I love what it says when it gets to Moses. It says, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward, because he wanted to enter into that other, that other world of the love of God, that place where God really dwells. 
And so he realized that anything he had in this life that was taking him away from that or distracting him was something that he needed to let go of. And even if that meant disgrace, even if that meant the opprobrium and, and the condemnation of those around him, and like, I can't even believe what this guy is doing. He's giving it all away. He has all of this, and yet he's letting it go. People who say such thing, Hebrews continues, are showing that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, which is this world, they would have had an opportunity to return. But instead, they're longing for a better country, a heavenly one. They're longing for another world, a world where God's love is so manifest and so brilliant, so much more on display, far less hidden than, than, than it is right now. That's what they're looking for. And if we entered in more fully into that, this would be, we'd be like, I, I want more of this, Lord. I, I just want more. Help me to understand. And, and the Lord in his own way even uses the challenges and the issues and the things that we are in the middle of that, that, are, that we're facing, that we have to deal with, that are confounding and disconcerting, all of those. He uses those actually to, to help us understand that we are actually in that country more than we realize. That when we experience his love in whatever form we need, whether it's his consolation, whether it's just his presence, whether it's his provision, whether it's like, wow, I didn't see that coming, Lord, but you really arranged all those things in a way that I didn't expect. Like when we see that, then we know that we're more into that, that other world of his love and his provision than we realize. And we rejoice and we want more of that. This is Paul's testimony when he gets the thorn in the flesh. He said, if that's what this means, that God's power is made more manifest in me through this thorn, then don't take it away. That is amazing. That's, I know I haven't entered far enough into this, this other world of love to be able to say that. I'm like, please take it away. Paul prayed three times, didn't happen. I'm like, okay, we're going four, five, six, ten, thirty times. We can be like that, but I want us to be more, and I want to be more like Paul, like John, people that knew very much this other world of love that is the world where God inhabits and the world that he is bringing us into. We are in it now to some extent, but we want to enter in more. So that's the first thing I see. The second thing about this world that I notice is that it's a world where cause and effect, where, if you will, time is, is distorted. Now, that sounds kind of scientific, but we got some scientists here. We know that science, the whole idea of science is we look at things that are happening, we go, well, why are these things happening? And so we start to study them. We're like, I see an effect, but what's the cause? And thank goodness we do that because now we get medicines and now we understand better construction and we have a whole host of blessings and benefits that come through this sort of scientific method. We understand more and more cause and effect. But in this world that, that is the world of God's love, this cause and effect get distorted. And by that, I mean things that we, we think that we're doing things that have very little effect, but they have huge effect. We see somebody who just needs a cup of water. This is Matthew 25. We're like, okay, it'd take me maybe five minutes to get you a cup of water. Here you go. We see somebody who's hungry. Okay, uh, let's swing through the drive-thru and get you a meal. What can I do? We, those are minor things to us, but they have huge effects from God's perspective. This other world of God's love, that, is, that means so much to him. It means so much to him that he's actually, when the judgment comes, he brings this stuff up. He says, when you did that, you were actually doing that for me. And conversely, when you just passed that over, you did that, you know, that was, you did that to me. And so cause and effect, 
little things seemingly to us have huge effects from God's perspective. But it's also true, on the other hand, stuff that we spend so much time and energy and worrying about, being pursuing, uh, things of this world, if you will, that have the flurry of activity, focus, concern. Think of all the civilizations that we will never know of. But, but in their day, they were busy. In their day, they were consumed by these things. In their day, if they did not have a way into this world of love that is from Christ and centered on him and defined by him and empowered by him, if they did not have that world, so much of that is now in the sands of time. We enter into a world of God's love where the cause and effect is distorted. The final thing I observe about this is we enter in this world that we're talking about, this world of God's love, is a world, in order to enter into it, we actually need a guide. It would be nice to know we could kind of go on our own way. Uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to go down on a trail on your own without a map. That'd be something I would do. That would not be something Vicky would do. And I'm probably here today because Vicky often would say, we should probably get a map and uh, you know, go down this thing together instead of you going off on your own. But when we, enter into, when we try to enter into this, this other world where, God is, where God's love is on display, we need that guide. And this is our gospel reading today that Cindy read. This is John 14. It says, Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you. And, you will, and he will be with you forever. Who's this advocate? The spirit of truth. You know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. He's the one who's always leading us to enter into this world. This is the spirit's assignment. He says, you know, I want you to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. And as he's saying these two things, if you will, he is leading us into opportunities to move deeper into both of those areas. The Acts reading that, was, that we heard as well is all about that in practice. This is, this is the spirit, first an angel, you know, servant of the Lord who tells Philip, just get on the road heading south, and he does. And then the spirit speaks to him and says, go up next to that chariot, and he does. And then, you know, finally he kind of knows what to do. Best, best evangelistic encounter ever. I mean, have you ever shared your, have you run into somebody reading the Bible and you're like, hmm, I think I can take it from here, Lord, thanks. Uh, but, but we actually can't. We need the Spirit to tell us at each and every moment what that's like. And the Spirit is our guide. When we think that we can do it on our own, then we start to get into trouble. We must follow Him as a guide. The minute we start to think we can do it on our own, we end up getting, mis- we're mistaken. We end up letting our own strength, our own wisdom, our own fallenness kind of gain the upper hand, start dictating things. This is in a church when people can start to rub each other a bit the wrong way because both have their agendas. You know, Paul knew this. I urge Udio and Syntyche to, to agree with one another. This is just part of life in this, in this world right now. But it doesn't have to be to the extent we allow the Spirit to be our guide in matters of love, matters of how to love one another, matters of how to draw deeper into this other world of God's love. We will be able to go much farther in than we realize and experience the joy that we were made to. John says uh, in the reading, the first John epistle, don't be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. We know we've passed from death to life because we love each other. If we don't use the Holy Spirit as our guide, we can be a little bit more in danger of being like Cain. Not maybe out and out murder, but you know Christ in the Sermon on the Mount says, I said, you know, the law says don't murder, but I say you can't even be angry with your brother. 
And so he's lifting up that standard. The Lord is far more concerned with the state of our heart because he knows out of the heart comes what we speak. Out of the heart come our actions. But we know that when we love one another, we have passed, uh, we have passed from death to life because we love each other. When we love each other, we've entered farther into this world of love that's being described. So how to apply this? You know, if we understood this world more, we'd give everything to experience more of it. If we understood it as we understand it, the things of cause and effect are far different than we realize. Little things that we do in Christ's name have huge implications, huge blessings and huge benefits. And finally, we cannot enter it, but through the power and life of the Holy Spirit. We need him as our guide. So how to enter into it? I just have one kind of recommendation, something that uh, I'm practicing more of, and that is just this, and being in this place of quiet and solitude and putting away distraction. Oftentimes we don't want to enter. We don't really know this, but we don't want to enter because we're concerned about or afraid of what we might find, what God might say, uh, that we would be inadequate. But I want to challenge that. Those are, those are things that the enemy kind of throws at us to keep us out. But to go in is just to say, Lord, I'm going to give you, I, I just want time of, of, of quiet and of prayer. A pastor friend of mine recently was preaching this to his congregation. He encouraged them to just start with five minutes of solitude, five minutes of quiet. If you do that, if you haven't done that before, you'll actually find how tough that is to do. It's hard enough to just to shut down all the things going on in your mind at any given time. And it's easy to get distracted. But with God's help, with the guide of our Holy Spirit, and with the prayer that says, Lord, I, I want to know more of this other world that you are in, that actually I am in with you. But I'm so caught up in this current world that I've, that, that's, in one sense, that's all I've known. But I want to know more of the world that you're in. I want to be quiet before you. I want your spirit to hold me, to speak to me, to, to do whatever. But I just want to stop and I want to be in your presence. Later this week, we'll put up on an email blast or, or on the website, just some, kind of, if we're doing this as a podcast, these would be show notes, ways to go ahead and, and kind of implement this. But it's so important. If we're to go into this other world, this world of love, farther up and farther in, then we need to truly do uh, this step by step, bit by bit, kind of quiet moment by quiet moment. Five minutes of silence can be a start. Some of you are saying and praying the daily office. That's also great. Just a rhythm to do that bit by bit. Peter Scazzaro, when he was writing on this, some of you have heard me quote him before, he actually cites Mother Teresa with her uh, missionaries of charity would require the nuns to pray for an hour three times a day, three one-hour sessions of prayer, so that they would uh, have their love for the dying sustained. You, you cannot live out the calling that God has given you without taking those times uh, to be with him and to be refreshed and to enter into that world of his love and his embrace in whatever form that is. And so that's really what's on my heart today to share I'm so thankful that if we know the Lord, um, we're able to be in that world. But as, and we're part of this church that we can encourage one another to understand more of, that, more of what that is and to experience more of that. I think if we do that in the days ahead, we'll be amazed at what God ends up doing in us and through us. We'll be amazed at how much more of that country, that other world that we actually experience. Amen. Amen. 
Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.